2007, November 8th. Today is Lecture 34, Venus Unveiled. So today we're continuing our tour of the solar system, and today we're going to be meeting a, the twin sister planet of Earth, Venus. Venus is the second planet out from the sun, and the basic ideas we're, go we're going to get across today is, again, because it's so similar to the Earth in many ways, it's the first of the planets we can see where a direct comparison with Earth is actually warranted. So the key ideas is today is that Venus is the second planet from the sun. It's about nearly the same size as the Earth. But unlike the Earth, it's completely covered in opaque clouds. You simply cannot see the surface from the outside except by special techniques like radar. And it shows a very, very slow retrograde or backwards rotation. Instead of the rotation we're used to thinking of in a right-hand rule with the North Pole being in the northern half of the ecliptic, the rotation is actually in the southern half of the ecliptic, as if something has turned the planet upside down or maybe started to spin it backwards. It's hard to say. One of the main features about Venus that makes it really stand out is its atmosphere. It has a very hot, very heavy carbon dioxide-dominated atmosphere, and it's a place where we see a runaway greenhouse effect in progress. The surface of Venus is far, far hotter than it would be for its location about 0.7 astronomical units from the sun, and we'll say a little bit about how that happened. The surface has only recently become revealed to us using radar mapping. You can actually use cloud-penetrating radar to get down to the surface. And a series of missions, space missions over the last couple of decades have given us a fairly complete picture of the terrain on, on the surface of Venus. What we see is it's primarily made up of long, rolling plains, a few highland areas and deep valleys, and some very unique terrain features which are associated primarily with volcanism and vertical tectonism. So we'll say a little bit more in detail about that, and of course, there's lots of cool pictures to look at. So again, sort of the planet at a glance, we are now talking about the second planet out from the sun, Venus. The radius of this orbit is about 0.72 astronomical units, which Kepler's third law tells us takes Venus approximately 225 days to make one trip around the sun. The ellipticity of the eccentricity of the orbit is very nearly circular. In fact, Venus has one of the most circular orbits among all the planets. It's also tilted slightly with respect to the plane of the ecliptic by a little over three degrees. So it too, like Venus, is tilted, but not by a whole lot. It's still lying down pretty close to the plane of the, plane of the solar system. The planet itself is nearly completely enshrouded by clouds as viewed from the outside. Its radius is pretty close to the radius of the Earth, a little over 6,000 kilometers, which makes it about 95% the size of the Earth in radius. Its mass is about 82% the mass of the Earth, so it's a little bit smaller, but not by much. It's got a couple of very big surprises, though. The rotation speed is extremely slow, 243 days. For those of you who kept track of the numbers before, the year on Venus is 220, the Venus year, if you will, is 224 days long. So it actually takes Venus longer to rotate than it does to complete one orbit. But it's not a one-to-one resonance. So something else is going on here. It's not in one of these tidally locked rotations like the moon around the Earth or Mercury around the sun. The other thing that catches your eye right away, and this was a big surprise to everybody, is it's a retrograde rotation. It's equivalent to saying that the axis is tilted by 177 degrees with respect to the ecliptic, or if you will, with respect to the plane of its orbit. It's probably the better way to put it. This is effectively the same as saying the planet's been turned upside down. Its north pole is pointing down instead of up. That's just a different way of saying it's rotating retrograde. We use a right-hand rule 
to specify on a rotating planet where dire the direction of the North Pole is, and then axis tilt is how the North Pole, defined by a right-hand rule, is oriented with respect to the orbit. So Venus is a backwards, slow-rotating planet. Really strange. There have been a series of, of spacecraft to go to Venus over the, over the years. In fact, one of the very first interplanetary space trips ever taken by a robotic craft was in 1962 with the Mariner space probe, which made a simple flyby of the planet. And a couple of flybys have been done later, Pioneer satellites, for example, in the 1970s. There have been a couple of landers on the surface of, of, um, of Venus, the most famous of which is Venera 7, landed in 1970, which made the real first soft landing on Venus. The first couple of landing attempts weren't very soft. Um, a couple of the Russian spacecraft just piled it in, and one of the, um, one of the U U.S. spacecraft, the only U.S. spacecraft to go to the surface was Pioneer Venus, which was really sent in as an atmospheric probe. It was supposed to sample the properties of the atmosphere as it descended, but it was anticipated it would crash into the ground. It had a parachute, but it wasn't certain how well it would do. In fact, Pioneer Venus lasted for about 10 or 15 minutes after landing, but it didn't have any cameras or anything on it, so it, all it could return is temperature and air pressure conditions before it finally just winked out entirely. The Vega spacecraft sent by the Soviet Union, Vega 1 and 2, actually locked balloon-borne probes into the upper layers of the Venus atmosphere to get long-term sampling rather than just simply what you can see as you're piling your way through on the way to the ground. Those didn't last for very long, but they lasted long enough to give us some of our clearest information yet about the upper cloud decks of Venus that we'll talk about here in a bit. Finally, there have been a series of orbiters that have been sent around the, uh, the planet Venus. Venera's 15 and 16 were sent by the Soviet Union in the 1980s. The U.S. sent the Magellan Radar Mapper, which will figure out pretty highly in a lot of the pictures we see in this lecture, come from the Venus Magellan mission in 1990 to 1994. And the most Recent mission to Venus is a so-called Venus Express mission sent by the European Space Agency, which was sent in the year 2005 and has been in orbit ever since, and is still operating. Although it's primarily a cloud mapper and monitoring satellite, it actually has very little radar capability of its own. So Venus has been visited by quite a number of spacecraft. In fact, it's been a point of considerable interest. And you will notice the very large number of Soviet spacecrafts. In, in many ways, like the way in which Mars has been heavily explored by the United States, the Soviet Union made Venus kind of its own. Now, there's a lot of reasons for it technically. It turns out it's fairly easy to get into transfer orbits between Venus and Mars. And the Soviet Union decided they were going to make a big impact. The biggest impact would be to do Venus exploration. And so a lot of what we know about some of the detailed uh, aspects of Venus's atmosphere and some of the ground conditions other than those that came from later radar missions come from the Soviet spacecraft sent in the 1970s. Now, if we look at Venus from space, if we look at Venus sort of from a, and this is a beautiful spacecraft view, this is actually an ultraviolet view that shows there are some structures in the clouds, but you're really seeing cloud tops here. You are not able to see down to the surface of Venus at all. And the reason for that is that Venus is covered entirely by extremely thick, you know, tens of kilometers thick layer of clouds. Now, the very first data to be gained about the surface of Venus came by bouncing radar signals off of Venus. This gave us two pieces of information. One is by looking at the amount of time it took the radar signal to travel out to Venus, reflect off, and bounce back. That return trip 
timing gave us a highly accurate distance to Venus, which was actually used to geometrically establish the size of the astronomical unit. The other thing that would happen, of course, is if Venus is rotating, like the Earth is rotating, then what you'd expect is as the, reflection, as the radio waves reflect off the planet, one side of the planet as it's rotating is going towards you, the opposite side is going away from you as it rotates. Well, the radar waves bouncing off the part coming towards you will get a blue Doppler shift. The radar waves bouncing off the part going away from you will get a Doppler red shift, just like the same way that COP microwave radar bouncing off your car can tell you how fast your car is going and in which direction. There was hope that you could use that to measure the rotation speed of Venus because you, you couldn't see the surface. The cloud features are essentially featureless, so we had no idea how fast Venus was rotating. And the first signal data that came back, people thought, well, that's got to be wrong because it showed Venus was practically not rotating at all or rotating only very, very slowly. And the double, triple, and quadruple check their results it was rotating backwards. That really, that really just, that just floored everybody in the 1960s when the first radar data came back. The other piece that came back from Venus, and this actually, again, was surprising to a lot of people when it was learned in the 1960s, is they did something called microwave radiometry. You can look at the, the, rate, the signal returns, and you can also see the long wavelength microwave radiation coming off of a hot surface. And what they found was the, inf the microwave radiometry, because microwaves can penetrate clouds, is why it's microwaves is important. The microwave radiometry revealed that the surface of Venus was in excess of 700 degrees Kelvin. That's almost 900 degrees Fahrenheit. That was a real shock, because at the distance of, the, of Venus from the sun, it should certainly be hotter than the Earth. It is closer to the sun than the Earth, but it should only be 300 and some odd Kelvin equilibrium. 700 degrees Kelvin meant that something really crazy was going on with Venus's atmosphere. And in fact, it was a number of scientists who figured this out and came up with the idea of a so-called runaway greenhouse effect going on on the surface of Venus. One of those scientists who was involved in that earlier work was a young Cornell astronomer who you probably all heard of, the late Carl Sagan. So let's look at a couple of these things in detail. Venus's rotation is slow and it's retrograde, it's backwards. It's actually rotating east to west rather than west towards east like the Earth. The period is 243 days. That's actually slower than its orbital time of 224 days. In fact, it's surprisingly slow. If you think about the way in which most of the planets and asteroids rotate in our solar system, the typical rotation speeds vary between about 24 hours for something like the Earth and about 10 or 12 hours for some of the gas giants in the outer solar system. Most asteroids kind of land in between, except for a few exceptions which are unusually slow or unusually fast. And if you piece together how the planets formed, you would expect a kind of 12 to 24 hour rotation speed on average. But to find a 243-day rotation speed is absolutely crazy, and no one has an explanation. In fact, there's only two explanations that have been put forward, and neither of them, neither of them really work very well. So it, it really does remain a mystery as to why Venus is rotating, A, so slow, and B, backwards. The first of these is that there's some kind of tidal interaction going on with the tidal field between tides raised on Venus by the sun, as well as some tidal influence from the Earth. You know, when Venus and the Earth only get a little under 0.3 astronomical units apart, Venus and the Earth have quite a bit of mass. There is a small tidal effect. They're, they aren't exactly in resonance or anything, but they're kind of close. There's almost a commensurability in the orbit of the Earth and Venus, and so you might get a little bit of amplification in the forcing. 
And then you couple that with the fact that Venus has, as we're going to see in more detail in a second, a very, very hot, heavy atmosphere. And when you couple a hot, heavy atmosphere with tidal effects, some calculations suggest you might get some kind of tidal breaking. But that would have been expected to slow the rotation of Venus, not slow it and turn it backwards. So that's one of the big challenges that, you know, the slow part we could probably get to. Slow and retrograde, that's really hard. The other explanation, which is not terribly satisfying, is that it, it suffered a glancing impact, which essentially despun Venus. Now, the way to see how this works is imagine you've got a globe and it's sitting up in the usual st four-standing globe, and you get it spinning by slapping it a couple times, and you get a good spin on it. What do you want to do if you want to stop it? Well, you take your hand and you hit it in the opposite direction. And if you hit it just right, you can actually stop the rotation and then slightly despin it. That, that could work. The problem is it's, it's got kind of that just-so story kind of effect in that it's one of the things that could probably do it, but it's very different than the, the case of the moon where we have you know, wacky and, uh, isotope abundances and composition issues and lack of volatiles. They really cried out for explanation, and you had to finally come up with this impact hypothesis for the formation of the moon by getting it whacked out of the Earth by a Mars-sized body. In the case of Mercury, we invoked impacts because of that unusually large iron core. But the unusually large iron core, no one could figure out any other way to get it. Whereas we can still come up with a lot of different ways to despin something. So this, while it can do it, it's not as compelling as in the case of the moon or Mercury. So here's a case where impacts might play a role, but it's, it's not obvious it's the right answer. One of the features that makes Venus really stand out as, as unique is its atmosphere, certainly of the terrestrial planets. It's got a very hot, very, very heavy carbon dioxide atmosphere. If we look at the uh, composition of Venus's atmosphere, we see it's 96% carbon dioxide, about 3.5% nitrogen in the form of N2, the nitrogen molecule we're breathing in and out now. It's about 0.15% sulfur dioxide, and virtually no water vapor. And then you get traces of all the other stuff. This is very, very different than the atmosphere we see on the Earth, which is what, 70-odd percent nitrogen, 21% oxygen, water vapor, and then traces of carbon dioxide. So something really strange has happened to, to Venus. Venus is actually showing a composition, in fact, that is almost primordial. Primordial except Remember, primordial atmospheres are probably heavy in carbon dioxide and only little bits of nitrogen, but primordial atmospheres also had a lot of water vapor in them. This has virtually no water vapor at all. The other aspect of this, in addition to the sort of semi this very dried out primordial composition, is that Venus's atmosphere is extremely heavy. If you were to stand on the surface of Venus, hopefully protected, because the pressure will be 90 Earth equivalent atmospheres. So that's you know, an Earth's atmosphere is roughly one kilogram per square meter of pressure. On Venus, that would be 90 kilograms per square meter. In fact, that's so extreme, that's like you going into the ocean to a depth of one kilometer. The, f the weight of the water on top of you, one kilometer below the surface of our ocean, would be equivalent to the pressure that you would feel standing on the surface of Venus. This is really heavy. This is 90 times heavier than our own atmosphere in round numbers. Furthermore, this hot, heavy atmosphere is a very good heat conductor. It, all this carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide being an exceptionally good 
greenhouse gas traps the sunlight coming in, it traps infrared radiation coming off the hot surface, and it acts like a great big heavy blanket. So here you are, close to the sun, you should be warm, and you've put on a down jacket. In fact, oh, what the hell, we'll put on 90 down jackets, okay? And you're just going to burn up. In this case, it makes the surface temperature much higher than it would be otherwise, about 750 Kelvin in actual numbers. That's 891 degrees Fahrenheit. And because the atmosphere is a very good conductor, even though it's slow rotating and only one half of the planet is in sunlight at any given instance, it actually makes the temperature around the planet uniform. So no matter where you go, whether you're at the poles or the equator, midnight or noon, it's always going to be the same. Really hot, really dry, and really, really dense. There are clouds on Venus. I said, well, you know, wait a minute. I just got through telling you that Venus is completely enshrouded in a thick layer of clouds. Those clouds are like Earth clouds, right? They're made of water droplets. But there's virtually no water on Venus. So what are they made of? Well, it turns out they're not water vapor clouds like we have on Earth. They're sulfuric acid droplets, H2SO4. In fact, they don't actually go all the way down to the surface. They're very high up in the atmosphere. They form a fairly thick cloud layer, about 10 kilometers thick, the bottom of the cloud deck starts at about 48 kilometers and it goes up to a height of about 58 kilometers. It's a 10 kilometer thick cloud of sulfur, di of sulfur dioxide and sulfuric acid droplets, literally liquid droplets. Now the lower atmosphere below that cloud deck is actually clear. This is one, again, one of the surprises from the first Venus atmosphere penetrating spacecraft found they were expecting to sort of find themselves in cloud all the way down. The big surprise was that the atmosphere was bone dry and that once you got below the above top sulfuric acid cloud deck, it was completely clear. There was no haze, there were no steamy clouds. So even though it's hot, it's not hot and humid. It's hot and it's drier than any dry air on the Earth. Now, a couple of things that you're going to get here, a couple of effects. One is the atmosphere is like being under a kilometer of ocean in terms of pressure. So you're going to get extreme atmospheric refraction, optical illusion effects, because of the very heavy, dense atmosphere. So you get some strange effects off in, off in the distance of the horizon. You would literally, as you stood on the surface of Venus, you would actually feel like you were in the bottom of a bowl. You'd feel like the horizon was curling up towards you as if you were at the bottom of a large bowl-shaped canyon of some kind. That actually isn't being terrain relief, that's because the light bending by the heavy, dense atmosphere actually lets you look a little bit over the horizon and distorts it upward. It's like trying to look out at the world from the bottom of a swimming pool. So this is a very different kind of atmosphere than people expected. It's very, very hot, very, very heavy, but it's bone dry. The clouds we see are primarily in this 10 kilometer thick layer and they're way the heck up. Now sulfuric acid is pretty nasty stuff here on Earth. There actually is a sulfuric acid rain on the surface of Venus, the ultimate in acid rain. But that rain never makes it to the surface. The surface layers are so hot and dry that all the sulfuric acid basically stays suspended in the upper layers. If any of you have ever been out to the western United States or are kind of weather watchers, you may have run into a, a phenomenon called virga. It's where you see rain coming down from the clouds and then it stops way above your head and never reaches, raindrops never reach the ground because they hit and evaporate quickly. It's often seen in the summertime. That's what has been in fact seen in the Venusian atmosphere as the spacecraft have dropped on through is they've run into Virga layers. So you do get a little bit of rain, but it quickly evaporates and goes back up, never even gets close to the ground. So this is 
kind of a very different planet than we'd expected. In fact, you can trace our notions of what the appearance of Venus should have looked like by science fiction-ish or even old astronomy textbooks pictures of Venus. This is a 1918 cartoon of the surface of Venus when people thought that it was completely covered with clouds and those clouds were naturally water vapor clouds just like on Earth. It was closer to the sun, so they thought of Venus as jungle world. Okay, It was going to be this hot, wet world. They envisioned lots of plant life and liquid water everywhere. And oh, heck, you know, William Rice Burroughs, the guy who wrote the Tarzan novels, had dinosaurs and Mars babes or something like that on Venus. It was just crazy. People thought of it as the jungle world. This is really what Venus looks like. It's not a very nice place for anything. In fact, nothing probably lives there at all. It's extremely hot, extremely dry. Sunlight never reaches down to the ground. You'd probably see a low red kind of glow around you, like you know, very, very late sunset. This is actually viewing it going on your way towards the ground. You would see the high cloud deck and maybe an occasional break, and then crystal clear and mountains and completely bone-dry desert everywhere you looked. Of course, it's a fairly inhospitable place. At 900 degrees Fahrenheit in round numbers temperature, if you placed a block of lead on the ground, it wouldn't be long before that block of lead grew mushy and, in fact, melted and flowed out into a puddle. So most light metals, in fact, would melt on the surface. This is a big challenge for putting spacecraft on Venus. This is a nasty, nasty place. First of all, you've got to get through a sulfuric acid cloud deck, so that's going to have some nasty corrosives on you. Luckily, you pass through that pretty quick. Then you get down to the ground, and you're like being at the bottom of, of one kilometer of ocean, and it's 900 degrees Fahrenheit. Most of the spacecraft probes we've sent to Venus haven't lasted long because eventually they undergo heat death. They basically heat up so much all their electronics just goes, eh, is, and it's all over with. There have been a few pictures returned. Usually most of the spacecraft only last about an hour under these conditions, even with the heaviest shielding before they just give up the ghost. This is some uh, marvelous pictures from Venera 14 from 1982. Those of you who read uh, Russian will recognize CCCP, the name of the now defunct country. You can see what the ground looks like. This is sections of the Venera spacecraft and lander pads and some part of the, the, the bottom shielding bits. And you can see the horizon off just in this one area here. They didn't really get a nice panoramic view before the camera failed. It's just really, it's lucky the camera even returned pictures at all. These are really nasty conditions. But you can see it kind of looks like being at the bottom of a lake bed. It's just, you know, flat rocks, plain. Pretty much the, the surface of Venus is pretty much covered with gray, gray very hot rock, is, is the best way to put it. And it's just completely bone dry. So why is it so hot? Why is it nearly 900 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface of Venus? Well, the reason why it's 750 Kelvin is because of something called a runaway greenhouse effect. It has a hot, very heavy carbon dioxide atmosphere. This hot, heavy carbon dioxide atmosphere is going to be marvelous at trapping heat. All that infrared opacity, any infrared radiation trying to get off the surface of a warmed, sunlight warmed Venus is simply going to radiate back up and get trapped in the cloud layers and stuck. Now, the outer surface layers of Venus are bright, shiny clouds. So you only get about 25% of the sunlight that gets to Venus actually manages to make its way down to the ground. So it's basically completely wrapped in this atmospheric blanket. Now, at these kinds of temperatures, 500 degrees Kelvin hotter than it would be if you just simply did the calculation, Venus should only be about 250 degrees Kelvin. 
Because of the shininess of the surface, that's cold enough for water to be barely liquid or maybe ice under these circumstances, but certainly wa liquid water. You would have expected liquid water in a lighter atmosphere, but the atmosphere is so heavy that the water stays as a vapor. Because the water stays as a vapor, you never rain out and form a liquid water ocean. And it was the liquid water oceans on the Earth that allowed carbon dioxide to be slowly scrubbed out of the Earth's primordial atmosphere, and then chemistry in liquid water that allowed most of the Earth's carbon dioxide to be locked up in the carbonaceous crustal rock. On Venus, there never was an ocean. It never got cool enough for, liquid, for water to ever be a liquid, and you never got the water chemistry that allowed you to start removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere of Venus. In fact, just the opposite occurred. Because the water vapor stayed as a vapor and it got so hot, the individual motions of the water vapor atoms, of course, got faster and faster as Venus got hotter and hotter. So this initial phase is called a moist greenhouse because it would be hot and humid. But those water vapor molecules get up to the upper parts of the atmosphere and they start breaking through the cloud decks. They'll start seeing ultraviolet radiation from the sun. UV radiation is very good at breaking hydrogen and oxygen and water apart. The problem is, once you've freed oxygen, H2O, you break off the molecular hydrogen. The molecular hydrogen is really lightweight. It moves fast and ping, it escapes gravitationally from Venus because it's so hot. Oxygen, single atomic oxygen, is the most amazingly reactive stuff in the whole chemical table. And so it immediately the oxygen that got liberated from the busted apart water got locked up in sulfuric acid, among other things, carbon, more carbon dioxide and stuff like that. So this process, which has a, a fancy name, it's called UV photolysis, actually destroyed most of the water on Venus. And over the course of about a billion years, Venus basically dried out. So it probably started out with the same proportions of water vapor and carbon dioxide as the Earth. But because water could never become liquid, it only stayed a vapor, this hydrolysis process actually caused most of the water to evaporate away from Venus. Actually, what really happened is the hydrogen got away and the oxygen stayed behind in oxygen chemistry in the heavy atmosphere. Because there was never any water, the atmosphere stayed heavy carbon dioxide composition. And that's why we see a dried out primordial atmosphere on Venus. This greenhouse effect essentially ran away to its ultimate limit, and you got the hot, heavy, 900-degree Fahrenheit Venus we see today. Well, this cloud layer and this very hot conditions make it very difficult to get down to the surface of the Earth and actually uh, surface of Venus and map it out. We certainly can't do it from the Earth, at least not very effectively, and so we've sent a series of spacecraft. What we're using is the same technology we use to find aircraft looking up from the ground through cloud decks. It's called cloud-penetrating microwave radar. In this case, it's a, it's a new novel technique worked out by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory to actually use this cloud-penetrating radar as a radar imaging system. The onboard the Magellan spacecraft is fairly fairly sophisticated radar processing unit. And, of course, it would sit there and use its gigantic antenna first to ra radar map a strip, and then it would swing itself to point back down here at the Earth and use that big antenna as a high-gain transmitter to send the data it just took back to Earth. So it would go off and map, transmit, map and transmit, and it was in a nearly polar orbit, and so it slowly peeled Venus apart, just like peeling apart an orange, sort of little strip by strip. And over time, we were able to actually get a very, very clear view of the surface of the planet. There had been previous radar mapping missions, but nothing of anything approaching the resolution of the radar mapper. So this is what Venus looks like from the outside. 
in the ultraviolet, but if I can strip away the clouds, what I see is this. This is what the surface of Venus looks like. Mostly low rolling plains, a few highlands, very few, but still a couple of impact craters and very, very interesting terrain features. If we look at the surface terrain features of Venus, what we find is that about 85% of the planet is actually low rolling plains, pretty much like, in many ways it resembles, for example, the long low rolling oceanic plains of the Earth, except the big difference here is these are not deep ocean basins like on Earth because there never was any ocean on Venus as far as we know. The other 15% of the terrains are highlands that kind of resemble small continents in the way they rise above this primary, primary plains. And there are a couple of belts of mountain ranges that probably are mostly volcanic in origin, plus a few rift or uplift areas that produce mountain ranges. The highlands are primarily concentrated into two regions on the northern portion of the planet. They're given the names the Ishtar Terra and the Aphrodite Terra. Now, they're called highlands because they are higher altitude than the rolling plains. Unfortunately, we use the same language, highlands, for high altitude regions, for the old regions on the Moon or Mercury, where they're looking at very, very old terrains, which are also somewhat high altitude. So be careful when you're, when you're looking at the, the, these names. These do not refer to the kinds of ancient, heavily cratered highlands we've seen on the Moon and Mercury, but in fact, really more resemble terrestrial Earth continents and the low rolling plains that cover 85% of the planet, if you will, resemble the large ocean basins, the low rolling plains that are right now underneath water here on the Earth. We also see on top of this general terrain a series of geologic features that are fairly familiar. We see impact craters, a few thousand of them. We see a lot of volcanoes and we see some other unique geologic features all of which are reasonably recognizable from Earth, but there are important differences, as we'll see in a moment. Now, one of the things I want to make a note of, I'll show you a map here. This is, this is taking Venus, that yellow map. I don't know why they ever chose that sort of yellow, and maybe it's because it look, makes it look like it's glowing hot. But this is a, perhaps a better terrain map to use for Venus. This is the surface topography of Venus. Now it's been unwrapped for us. The color coding they've used here to est is to show the idea of altitude. The low blue stuff here, which looks like water, isn't water. That gives you the lowest of the, of the plains. And then the green regions here are essentially the highlands. And the transition color is above some kind of mean level, mean spherical level for the planet. I, was, I almost said sea level, but I had to stop myself. It's above the same level that we would use, analogous to sea level on the Earth. So we can see this Ishtar Terra is actually up on the northern hemisphere. In fact, it's, it's way up near the northern poles. This is the Aphrodite Terra, which is the other large um, high-altitude highland landmass. And there are a couple of other smaller mountain range clusters around here, some of which have some very interesting shapes. One of the things about Venus is terrain names are all named after women, with one, one exception, the Maxwell Montes, which is a mountain range up here in the north, the Maxwell Montes were named for uh, Maxwell, the guy in Maxwell's Laws, because they were first seen in the very first radar maps from the Earth. But after that, they decided, well, you know, Venus is the primary female goddess, and so we ought to start naming it after as many different women, historical women, women goddesses of various kinds. And so we're going to have lots of interesting names because you ran out of Greek and Roman mythology almost immediately. So there's lots of... Hindu goddesses, there's all, oh, it's Indonesian, it's just all over the place. People really had to stretch a bit. 
Here's looking, and this, this, again, this is the sort of yellow-orange map that the Venus um, radar mapper people seem to really get into. This is now showing some of the terrain features, but they've now used a computer to reconstruct what they would look like if you were just flying over the surface of Venus. This is looking out towards a region of volcanism, this, this high volcano over here. This volcanic cone really does look like a terrestrial volcano, although there's no evidence of activity in this particular one. This is called Gullah Mons. Okay, Mons is always going to be a mountain in, in this terminology. And all this cracking you see here is, in fact, faulting structures. So you actually are seeing places where the crust is buckling and cracking vertically. These are volcanic features that are seen on, on Venus. Venus does have a lot of sort of the classic, you know, little kid cartoon of a volcano as a cinder cone on top. Think about like Mount Fuji or something as the typical... Uh, typical cartoon picture of a volcano. We see a lot of those kind of conical shield volcanoes on Venus. But what we also see are a couple of other volcanically oriented features. And they come in two varieties. The pancake domes, which look, well, that kind of looks like a couple of pancakes on a plate. And they are, in fact, domes. They're places where the crust is being pushed up by a bubble of magma, which is coming up from below the crust and is pushing up on the crust. So we're seeing upwelling occurring and deforming the crust upwards, and it's kind of pushing up, and as the crust pushes up, you see the crust beginning to crack and craze around here, and you can see all the various radial and, and azimuthal cracking in here. We do, in fact, see things like pancake domes on the Earth, but they're pretty rare, as it turns out. The other place, in addition to getting upwelling, you get these structures called coronae. Now, unfortunately, in this picture here, you don't get an impression of depth, a corona is actually a depression. This is a place where there's downwelling, where magma's flowing down below the crust, and the crust is actually collapsed inward. And you can see, again, cracking here. Um, what this reminds me most of is if you've ever seen an impact of a rock on a, windsh a windshield made of safety glass. And you get that sort of circular crack pattern, plus a few radial cracks running outwards from the point of depression, like the point of impact of a baseball on a, on a car windshield. So the way to think of the coronae is where the, the crust is collapsing. And of course, again, it's solid crust, so it's cracking and crazing and buckling. And so this is the kind of faulting we get. Like in that previous picture here, this is actually near the edges of one of these coronae. I, yeah, I think this is near one of the coronae. And you can see how all the, 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 the faulting here is all vertical. It's all cracking, where you see two portions sort of giving up strain and one part just going boom, like that. So we get coronae, where we get downwelling, pancake domes, where we get upwelling. Volcanoes are an extremely common terrain feature on the surface of Venus. In fact, there are more, more volcanoes across the surface of Venus than on just about every, any other large body in the solar system. However, there's some certain patterns we don't see. On the Earth, when we see volcanoes, they often come in chains. A lot of those volcanic chains we see on the Earth fly along tectonic plate boundaries. Remember the ring of fire in the Pacific, around the Pacific plate. We also can see chains of hotspot volcanoes like the Pacific Island chain and the Midway Island chain, so-called Emperor Seamount, where the Pacific plate is slowly sliding north over a magma hotspot that builds a series of volcanoes in place and you get this dragged out chain. Nowhere on Venus do we see any chains of volcanoes at all. And so that immediately rules out any kind of plate tectonics going on in like Venus. 
So Venus seems to have a one-piece crust. It isn't broken up into separate plates like the Earth's. And it's, that fact is revealed by the fact we don't see the kinds of geologic structures we associate with the edges of plate boundaries or these chains of hotspot volcanoes from plate motions. The pancakes, domes and, vol- coron- domes and coronae we see are huge. They're 100 to 200 kilometers across. So we're really seeing these stationary upwelling and downwelling features that are very persistent for very long periods of time and shaping the, the terrain features. So we're on Earth, we had a lot of features on the Earth where, which are caused by the lateral motion of the crust. We're seeing on Venus things formed primarily by vertical motions in the crust being driven by the mantle, the semi-liquid molten mantle below. Now there's a question is if we see so many volcanoes and it's pretty clear that most of Venus is probably going to be molten in the interior, do we see active volcanism today? Do we see any actual volcanoes erupting during the Venus mapping? There's one or two places where it looks like where the Venus mapper went around and then came back a year or so later, there was a change in the terrain on the side of a volcano. That could just be a landslide or it could be a lava flow. No one can tell. The other clue is in some of the atmosphere mappers that fell down through the atmosphere, like especially the Soviet spacecraft, on a couple of occasions they noticed that between different spacecraft visits there was a larger amount of sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere. One of the primary sources of sulfur dioxide would be venting out of a volcanic eruption. So the jury is still out on this, and this is one of the things that people are trying to think about what's the best way to study. The problem is long-term visits to Venus are tough because of the harsh environment, so it's still an open question. But the big difference here, and this is the real takeaway point, is that we're seeing tectonics on Venus, but it's not the plate tectonics like we saw on the Earth. Okay? A couple reasons for this. The reason why Venus's crust, even though it's very close in size to the Earth, did not break up into plates, probably has to do with the fact that A, it's extremely hot, and B, it's very dry. If you dry out rock and make it hot, instead of making it brittle, it's kind of counterintuitive, you actually make it somewhat softer. Right? It's, it's not quite mushy, it's still solid, but it's softer and it's more pliable. As a consequence, you're not going to get the large-scale fracturing into plates like we see here on the Earth. We certainly see evidence of upwelling and downwelling causing domes and compression and coronae. So we know there is an active mantle, but because the crust is all of a piece, it has nowhere to slide laterally. And so we get entirely vertical processing in the the, uh, crust of Venus. Now, just to keep moving on a little bit, we do see impact craters on Venus. There are only about a thousand of them. It's a very, very lightly cratered surface. So we know that most of the surface we're looking at is comparatively young. It's much younger in terms of geologic terms than the surface of Venus, or surface of Mercury, or the surface of, of the Moon. They're randomly scattered over the surface, so we're not seeing any like large planes that are, have fewer impact craters on average than others. They're kind of uniformly scattered about the surface. None of them, however, are small craters. We don't see any craters smaller than three kilometers across. A three kilometers across crater would be made by a 30 meter size meteor or asteroid. And the reason for that is actually pretty simple. The atmosphere is so heavy, any smaller rocks burn up completely before they reach the ground and so can't make a, make a crater. So we only see the really big honking rocks that manage to punch its way through that heavy atmosphere and punch a hole in the ground. However, the sheer lack of craters on the surface is telling us that about 80% of this surface has been completely repaved by tectonic processes 
probably geologic pro uh, volcanic processes during the last 500 million years, the half, last half billion years. So we're looking at a relatively young terrain, geologically speaking, in the solar system of about a half a billion years due to the lack of cratering. And some kind of repaving event occurred somewhere around a half a billion years ago, which completely erased most of Venus's geologic history. There's two competing ideas for why there is this lack of cratering. One is that because things are kind of soft and mushy is that the craters get filled in very quickly by volcanism because volcanism is so common. And the other possibility is that there was a catastrophic volcanic repaving of the entire surface 500 billion years ago. Being able to distinguish between these options is going to be hard. Here's one of these craters. It's a really flat crater, not a very high ground, and even it is obviously very clearly filled in with lava. They kind of pool in pretty quickly. Venus and the Earth. These are the big differences between these planets. They're very nearly twins. We see volcanic and tectonic repaving. On the Earth, it's an ongoing process, right? Most of the continental crust on, on the, in the Earth, except for the oldest portions, are 60 to 100 million years old. There's even younger stuff. There's new volcanism, new crust being formed all the time. In Venus, that process seems to have stopped about a half a billion years ago. On the Earth, all of what we see is primarily lateral recycling because of sliding motions side to side among the different crustal plates. But on Venus, we see primarily vertical recycling, in which we have upwelling and downwelling in place in a one-piece crust. And again, this may be related to the lack of water in the crust of Venus. So I'll leave you with a single picture here. And this picture is the Earth and Venus drawn in the same scale where the low plains of the oceans here, the water's been removed, and the high plains, highlands of the continents, compared to a similar picture of Venus at the same scale. Two worlds, very different, and also very much alike. And there's a lot we can learn from this. And when we talk a little bit next week on comparing terrestrial planets, we'll see that in some detail.